You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast. Your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. So before we get into it, I'm just I'm, I'm just gonna I'm gonna skip all the banter. We've been doing too much banter. Too much banter. Just get, we've got to go straight into it. Get right into it. Let's get something to drink. Definitely. It's a good one. Today we're cracking open Hallo Ich bin Berliner Weiss with gooseberries from McKellar. Can you tell me a little bit more about this? Where'd you get it? It's pretty foamy. Pouring pretty foamy. I'm not pouring it too well here. I like the can. I love the series, first of all. So, I love I love the McKellar series for all of these kind of fruited Berliner Weiss. Yep. So it is part of the series. Um, the They've got a whole bunch of different fruited versions. Um, blueberries, mango, watermelon, uh, apricot, pineapple, raspberries. I think there's strawberries. Yes, I've had the strawberries. I've had quite a few of them, and mm-hmm. they're all really, really good. Um, I picked this up at uh, the market near my house called Rose Market. Um, I was grabbing something else, and uh, the can jumped out at me on this one because they do that cool pattern, um, whatever kind of the color of the fruit is, and they just slap it all over in a nice little pattern across the label. So they're always very eye-catching, and I love a good eye-catching can. It looks like it's wearing a, a name tag. I mean, that's, that's the whole point <laughs> yeah, of the, the, whole point, the name. For sure. Um, but it, yeah, you're right. They are very eye-catching. For sure, you can tell uh, what beer they are just scanning down the, the whole cooler aisle. Admittedly, sometimes it's a game to try and figure out which fruit's on it, because some of them look similar, or some of them are a little different than what you've seen so you gotta pick you some of them you can tell it's like obvious okay well i see the name (laughs) they don't they don't write the name on the front or the the flavor of the fruit on the front right so you have to go grab it and like look at the side for the weird ones and figure out what they are like honestly i didn't know what a gooseberry was this kind of looks like little watermelons or something i thought it was going to be like a melon Mm -hmm. not gooseberry so i had to go figure that out um but as it obviously says this is a berliner style beer uh berliner weiss style beer um, and it is coming in at 3.7% ABV, which is pretty average for uh, this style of beer. It's supposed to be low ABV, refreshing, crisp, got that tartness. Um, and interestingly enough, I think this is part of one of the newer releases from this series because it's only got about 1,100 check-ins so far. Yeah. Uh, earlier in the year, it looks like uh, McKellar also announced the Oregon Fruit version uh, kind of in partnership here with Oregon Specialty Fruit, it seems. Announced a special collaboration with Oregon Specialty Fruit, who will be delivering a wide variety of fruits for a lot of upcoming McKellar beers. OSF, or Oregon Specialty Fruit, are, in our humble opinion, producing some of the most delicious fruit we have ever tasted so far. And after a long taste phase, we are now ready to start launching multiple series of Brewed with Oregon Fruits beer. So look for more of these in the near future, I guess, with specific specialty fruits from Oregon. That'll be really interesting. Yeah, I would, I, I would love a, uh, oh, what is it? Um, Marionberry. Hello, Ikbin Marionberry, please. <laughs> yeah. Mm, 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 mm. I'll let you have the first reaction here. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm a I'm a fan typically of of Berliner Weiss. Mm-hmm. I love the low alcohol content. I like the highly fruited uh, Berliner Weiss style. I've never had a gooseberry. Yeah, I don't think I have either. So I don't I don't know what to compare it to. Definitely. Uh, yeah, you can probably get a lot of gooseberry flavored things, but it seems like a regional 
type thing. I, not a not a California thing. Where where did gooseberries come from? Yeah, we should definitely look that not up. Not from geese, I hope. No. Mm, no. Mm, no. Geese. Geese. It, I, I typed geeseberry. Goose. <laughs> it's very refreshing. Um it's definitely it's it's not as um it's not a not a pucker sour bomb. Um it's got the tartness, but it's pretty subtle. The gooseberry with scientific names Ribus uva crispa. It's kind of the flavors I'm getting, I guess. <laughs> it's a is a species of ribes. It's native to Europe, the Cauc- Caucasus, and northern Africa. Higher classification is a current. So it it, it has I guess ties to red currants, currants, blackberries, uh, something about a Peruvian ground cherry, which kind of looks similar. Red raspberries. Um, it, it, I don't. It doesn't. It seems more more mellow than most because I remember having the raspberry uh, version of this, and it being very sour and sweet. And um, this one seems a lot more mellow. It's still pretty sour though when you're when you're thinking about kind of small berry tart fruit flavors i get a lot of that uh, especially currants it reminds me of that the current beer that we tried oh uh, yeah the thousand pounds uh, the one ton of black currants mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. from tool yes yeah i mean not obviously it's not as uh brightly pink no uh, no this is this, the other this is kind of a slightly hazy golden pretty clean looking yeah pretty uh, almost on the the lightness of a cider I would say maybe a little bit, not as clear as the clear IPA we covered in last episode, but um, (laughs) almost it's nearly there. It's good. Gooseberries are deciduous shrubs, fast growing under optimum conditions to three, three feet tall to six feet wide. Gooseberry may be green, white, (laughs) gray, green, yellow, shades of red from pink to purple to almost black. So you can kind of get them in, in all sorts of different colors. Mm -hmm. Um, because I guess they are still part of the current family. I would love to have them in my current family of beers. Current, current. Yeah. You know, my, yeah. I anyway. gotcha. <laughs> we don't have currents here. So nope. <laughs> I feel, I feel okay. Uh, making, making those jokes. I do get a little bit of apple, like hmm. green apple. Okay. Tartness. Yeah. And, and sweetness. Um, green apple with the skin though. Okay. Kind of like that, that toothy sort of, uh, astringent skin that you get of a green apple. I feel like McKellar and Jolly Rancher should get together oh. and, may- and maybe come up with uh, some flavor combinations. You know, uh, was uh, it blue raspberry? Was that the? Was it blue raspberry? It was blue raspberry. Was like I, the coveted wa- watermelon for me. Yeah, was no, always, that was good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I like the green apple. Green apple are mm. good. Um, maybe now and later's either nerds, warheads, now and later's. Just get all take all the sour candy. All the candy. That's my wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, boy, talking about a uh, childhood bands <laughs> last time, and now now we're getting into candy. Oh, we can't go down that path. I mean, we'll be here longer than we were with gooseberries. That's true. That's true. All right. Have any of you had this one? Let us know what you thought on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at Untapped. They uh, sunburn easily under California conditions. So there we go. That's why never had one here in California. It just it just goose to show you why I've never tried it. Now we're going to take a look at some of our recently added sponsored badges. 
The first badge up here comes from our friends at Otter Creek Brewing. It is the Ella Hoppy Lager Badge. This can be earned by checking into one Ella Hoppy Lager from Otter Creek between May 18th and June 18th. This badge is for a brand new release from Otter Creek, which is, as you probably guessed by now, called Ella Hoppy Lager. Um, it is a new beer that marries the smoothness of oats with the crispness of lager fermentation, and it is exclusively dry hopped with Ella Hops, uh, which come from Australia, and is a variety known for their complex aromas. Yeah, tropical fruit flavors and aromas uh, illuminated by a crisp lager yeast, it says. Yeah. I love the can art. This is yes, very that cool. was the next next thing I was going to say, is that they, it's a very brightly colored orange, red, green, pink can. Um, you'll... This will stand out on the shelves, I'm sure. Yeah, it's like 60s, screaming 60s. You oh, know? yeah. It's Scooby-Doo. It, it's pretty cool. Um, you can see that uh, You can see that artwork, I'm sure, on the can when you're having it, or if you're not having it, you'll see it when you unlock the badge. The next badge we have up here is from our friends at Yardhouse. This is the Yardhouse Signature Badge. Uh, this one you can unlock by checking into three house beers from Yardhouse between May 14th and June 3rd. Uh, for those who don't know, Yardhouse does have their own series of house beers. Obviously, they're known for carrying, what is it, over 100 beers on tap? On tap at any given time. From yeah. all over the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but they do actually have some specifically made house beers, um, including an IPA, a Belgian Amber Triple, a Honey Blonde, a White Ale, a Belgian Golden, and a Belgian Pilsner. Uh, you can find these at all the Yardhouse locations, and if you check into three different ones, you will unlock this brand new badge. They actually just tweeted about their uh, House Belgian Amber Triple and Kurabuta Pork Burger, which sound like a fantastic combination. It sounds Yum. so freaking good. The last one we have for you this week is Hop Cycle Crimson Pistol from our friends at Trogues Independent Brewing. You can unlock this one by checking into one Crimson Pistol from Trogues between May 10th and June 10th. Uh, this beer, which is hitting shelves just in time for summer, uh, is a nice little blend of hops and hibiscus. Um, it's a glorious tangle of berry-like tanginess, a sunset technicolor, and sticky tropical notes. I like all three of those things. Yes, please. Those sound very good. Our friend John Holzer from the Four Brewers Podcast is back with some more great homebrewing tips and tricks for you. Here's John with more. Hey everyone, John here from Four Brewers and I'm back with today's homebrew tip. Today I have my top three most important things you need to consider when making your own beer. The first thing is cleanliness. You want to make sure everything you do post-boil is clean and sanitary and this is probably the most important thing. You essentially have sugar water and yeast and bacteria both love to consume sugar. So you want to make sure you keep the bacteria out and just keep that sugar there for the yeast. Thus, keep everything sanitary. Anything that touches that wort after the boil needs to be kept sanitary. Second, yeast viability. Yeast viability is probably the most important thing next to recipe formulation in my opinion. If you don't have clean, healthy yeast that is ready to consume those sugars, you're gonna have problems. The most obvious one and biggest problem for a lot of breweries that make IPA especially is diacetyl, that butterscotch, um, buttery kind of aroma. So you wanna make sure you have enough yeast to pitch into your wort. So if you're brewing a five gallon batch of beer that has a gravity of 1065, you may think I can just take this vial of yeast and pitch this in here and that's enough because that's what it says on this vial of yeast. And that's not true. 
Age of yeast is a big factor and yeast cells die over time, even if you keep it cold. So you wanna make sure you have plenty of yeast and you wanna make sure it's healthy. Third is temperature control. Maintaining a proper temperature during fermentation is vital. If you're brewing an ale, you can ferment anywhere between 65 and 75 degrees and beyond, depending on what kind of yeast you're using. So if you're using like a Saison yeast, you can go above 75 and just let it free rise because you're just going to get all this like fruity, estery goodness out of it. If you're making a lager though, you want to keep the temperatures low because that's where lager yeast likes to ferment in lower temperatures. You can do this by putting your fermenter inside of a bath of water and taking some two liter bottles and filling them with water and then putting those inside of the bath to keep temperatures cooler. You can use a freezer with a temperature control inline controller to maintain the temperature of the freezer so it doesn't get down to freezing and it shuts off the power when it gets to the temperature you set it to. Or you can just go all out and get a glycol chiller, a stainless steel conical fermenter, put a coil on that bad boy and go to town. Those are my top three most important things to consider when making your homebrew. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. You can catch more from John and the whole Four Brewers crew over at fourbrewers.com or subscribe to their show wherever you listen to podcasts. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code PODCAST at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com coupon code podcast to get 20% off. Let's move on to our style of the week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style. Here's Tim with a uh, very appropriate beer style that we're both trying right now. That it is. I thought we'd try and finally tie the style (laughs) together with the beer. Uh, Great idea. (laughs) I can thank one of our uh, reviews on iTunes for that. Thank you. If you would, if you have critical information or critical feedback, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or you can tweet at us. We appreciate any reviews, any feedback you have. Positive, negative. We'll take it and we'll listen and we'll incorporate as we can. Uh, So, yes, as Kyle said, this week we are going to be taking a look at the Berliner Weiss. They're almost, they're, they're kind of my Berliner Weiss sometimes. I, um... I need I need to have you know just that that tart uh, sour beer sometimes yes. you know yeah <laughs> yes this style happens to be a regional variation of the white beer style from northern Germany that dates back to the 16th century. Most beer historians agree that the Berliner Weiss originated as some sort of unknown beer um, that was made in Hamburg and didn't really fall into any style or category. Um, and eventually it was copied and developed by a 16th century brewer named Cord Broihan. Broihan's beer became very popular, and a version of it was brewed in Berlin in the 1640s. So I'm going to get ahead of all this. I'm going get, to get there right now. When did it die out, and when did it come back? Yes, the, that's... <laughs> I mean, you can take... take that's, that's what I'm waiting for, and really. let's just Let's just assume that every beer follows the same. We know you. You know the, the gist of this. Yeah, you know how it goes. Um, Frederick Wilhelm uh, actually encouraged the spread of the style through what was then known as Prussia, uh, declaring it the best for their climate. So basically, saying that this this was the best beer for the people of Prussia to be enjoying because of their weather. Hmm. Um, and as you can take from if you ever try one, it's very refreshing, very crisp, probably good for the heat of summer. 
By the 19th century, a Berliner Weiss was the most popular alcoholic drink in Berlin, with 50 breweries producing it. That's pretty surprising given Germany's great brewing history. I mean, if you probably break it down specifically to Berlin, that would make more sense and not just go for like the entire country. But that's very surprising. At the height of its popularity, there were 700 breweries producing Berliner Weiss. Um, interestingly enough, by the 20th century, there were only two breweries left in Berlin producing the style. By the 20th century, too? Wow. That's... Okay, so early 1900s, probably, around yeah. there. Interesting. Well, Germany... I mean, Germany did go through a lot at that point. Uh, similar to the Kolsch, which we learned about back in episode 8, the Berliner Weiss style has been given protected geographic indication within the European Union. Um, basically meaning that only beers brewed in Berlin are allowed to be officially called Berliner Weiss. Though uh, there are many breweries around the world that'll make a similar style and call it Berliner Weiss. Right. This seems to be sort of a, a par for the course in yes. Germany and just is the way that they classify beers. It makes it makes a lot of sense, especially when you are in Germany and you want to know what style you're having. It, it you, would, you know what you're getting. It would be very interesting to go to Berlin at some point and find one of those two breweries, which I believe are still in existence there and try what would be a truly original Berliner Weiss. Uh, the Berliner Weiss style tends to be low in its alcohol volume coming in around 3%. Um, the one we're having right now is about 3.7. So staying in that range, um, they're sour as you would expect. Uh, they're a bit cloudy and made with a combination of malted barley and wheat. The beer is soured during fermentation, either naturally in the bottle or with the addition of lactic acid. It just works out a lot. Just pumping iron, you know, lactic. It builds up in your muscles, lactic acid. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, you build, yeah. Lactic, that's why your muscles, when you work out real hard, burn. Um, many Berliner Weiss beers, uh, they contain or are brewed with no hops and thus really have no bitterness. Um, I have had some soured IPAs, which is a nice combination of like that bitter and kind of sour thing. Um, but with most of the Berliner Weiss that we've had, um, there's no bitterness whatsoever in there. They're just crisp and tart and sweet and delicious. They're also uh, highly carbonated and, as we've discovered many times over, extremely refreshing. I know that Berliner Weiss is one of my favorite styles um, when starting to get kind of deeper outside of your basic craft beer styles. An interesting thing to note, though, is that when served, it's not uncommon for flavored syrups to be added to a Berliner Weiss. Um, usually raspberry or woodruff, which I've learned is a little, it's a flowering bush. Sweet scented bed straw, <laughs> uh, according to Wikipedia, also known as woodruff. Germans also use woodruff to flavor beer, in parentheses Berliner Weiss, brandy, sausages, jelly, vodka-based jam, ice cream, and herbal teas. So it's a popular flavor, the, uh, the woodruff flavor. In Germany, it seems, for, I've never for all even, sorts of stuff. I've never even heard of it until today. Now I'm intrigued by it. I'm sure we've had something that is flavored with Woodruff. If you've ever had either German food or... Potentially. I've, I, But I never, I've never had a Berliner Weiss with the syrup in it, so I wouldn't know there. That's for sure. Just the fruited Berliner Weiss from cans or bottles. Also known in German as Waldmeister. Woodruff is an herbaceous perennial best known in beer making as one of the commonly used sweetened flavorings for Berliner Weiss. The other being raspberry, apparently, is the other most popular flavor. Though the bright green imparted by the schuss, 
in the glass is mainly owing to the enhancement of dye. Woodruff syrup adds both a mitigating sweetness and an herbal note to the sour wheat beer. It is important to note that the flavoring is added at the serving, so to do so earlier would be in violation of Germany's beer purity laws. So there you go. That's so really... it's, a, it's a syrup just added later. It imparts, I guess, kind of a, a green hue to to the glass. Um, sometimes sounds, with the enhancement of dye. Sounds a little sweet and herbaceous. Yeah. That's, Pure, again, I, I know nothing about this. I find it very interesting Great. that it's added later to avoid ruining the purity law. All right, let's talk about what uh, Berliner Weiss we've tried before. So I've got, uh, I think one of the more interesting ones I've tried before is the cucumber sour from 10 Barrel Brewing uh, called Crush, Cucumber Crush. Oh, yes. I remember when that came out. That was, I was intrigued by how that was going to taste. The, it comes in some really well-designed cans. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember it was very, very clean, yeah. very white, had yep. the circle logo. <laughs> it, I think it, we did a batch for that when it came out. We may have. Yeah, we I, did. Oh. It was a while ago. Mm. Uh, I had it, I've had it once. Uh, IBU at four. So very, obviously very low, uh, 5% ABV. And, uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I also had another cucumber Berliner Weiss from Toolbox Brewing called Cucumberliner. Mm. I see you've got a cucumber thing going on here. Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've had a, a lot of fruited ones. Um, I had the McKellar cherry. I've had one with dragon fruit and guava, huckleberry, but sour, sour cherry and cherries in general tend to be one of those uh, common fruit flavors for Berliner Weiss that I that I do have. Not kind of your standard um, or traditional German flavors, but sort of a, an American take on all those. Got what, it. What about you? Um, I've got nineteen that I've checked in over the years. Uh, some interesting ones here. Um, I had it, this one, the first one on my list. I actually my most recent one. Uh, I had, uh, when Greg came through on the seven cities tour at bottle logic, ah. um, I had a pour of their Berliner equation with strawberry and rhubarb. Okay. It was tart and delicious and just pucker and just exactly what I want out of a sour beer and a uh, good name. Yes, exactly. And it looks like I've had at least three of the other, um, it Berliner, uh, series Series. Mm -hmm. and another one in here that i thought was very interesting too was mckellar's raspberry blush which is um raspberries and coffee in a berliner vice yes it's a really interesting thing you get like the sour notes and it ends on like a roasted coffee thing that was a really interesting one for for those that are kind of scared of sour beers in general i would recommend that you try them um i know in the beginning i was a little off put by the idea but now being someone who grew up loving sour candy and all that stuff and tart fruit, um, it it's one of my favorites. Ex Novo makes a cactus Berliner Weiss. That's Ooh, very good. Okay. Uh, mango and peach, raspberry. All the fruits. Just basically take all a Berliner Weiss <laughs> and throw in all the fruits and that's that's what you got. Brewery Rex locally uh, here in LA makes one that is called uh, Raspberry Ricky. That is an incredible beer. Um, real low ABV 3.2, but very, very good. And I have had the Raspberry Blush as well. Uh, that one is actually brewed from McKellar San Diego. Surprising. Uh, I liked that one a lot as well. I had that uh, on the 27th of this year. All right, one more, one last interesting one. Okay, go that for I've, it. No, <laughs> no. 
So we need an ending note. All right. One one completely uh, sort of different uh, Berliner Weiss I've had before. Dry hopped Berliner Weiss ale brewed with galaxy hops, vanilla, and milk sugar. Lactose. Ooh, nice. It's from uh, Grimm called Galaxy Pop. So it was a single, single hopped galaxy dry hopped Berliner Weiss. Really interesting. I loved it. It was kind of like a, a dessert beer because of the the lactose. Okay. Very smooth. Uh, balanced the sort of carbonated bits of of the uh, that are common in the style with something that I mean I'm going I'm to say mouthfeel. It, it it imparted quite a creamy mouthfeel to to that beer. I liked it a lot. All right. Let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. Our first article comes from vinepair.com, and it is entitled, Contract Brewing is Losing Its Stigma, Whether Beer Geeks Like It or Not. So first up, you may be asking yourself, what is a contract brewer? Well, a contract brewery is a company that works with a host brewery to produce and package its beer. So if I wanted to start a company and make beer, but I don't own a brewery, I can go to a host and work with them to create it. Basically, uh, it's a concept that was popularized by Boston Beer Company in the 1980s when their beer was actually produced in Pennsylvania, even though they were the Boston Beer Company. That is a, a nugget of, of trivia for you right there. Yeah, that, I found that to be a very interesting point in this article. Um, these breweries, uh, the contract breweries, are often referred to as nomadic breweries or gypsy brewers, uh, which you may have heard um, more than contract brewery. Maybe, in, yeah, like in recent years, yeah. I One that I do know, and maybe it was just on a, a scale that they weren't able to accommodate uh, at the time, but Alpine Brewing was brewing out of uh, Green Flash for a little while. Even in stores in uh, Whole Foods, I was seeing Alpine beers in Green Flash bottleware. Which oh, was, interesting. Which was a, a, a trip, a real trip. Because I know Green Flash acquired Alpine. Eventually. Even- they oh, did. was it before yeah. that? So I think, I think initially they were a contract brewery inside of Green Flash. Oh, Okay. That's interesting. I did not know that. I'm going to make sure, I'm going to check my facts and make sure that that is correct. Yeah. So these nomadic or gypsy brewers are, like we said, basically companies that just don't have the capital or the space, the raw materials. So they make deals with other breweries to brew their beers, um, package them and sell them, and then kind of everybody benefits from the deal. Stillwater Artisanal, a popular notable brewer, has brewed all over the world, and they're actually finally getting their own facility in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Um, but their beers are still going to be brewed at Two Roads Brewing in Stratford, Connecticut. Basically, I think they're paying the idea for that they'll brew other people's beers and just keep theirs where they're currently contract brewing over at Two Roads. But the interesting thing is that Two Roads was actually built with contract brewing in mind. Their founders saw the opportunity for people needing to have places to go and brew their beer. So not only do they brew their own brand, but they also brew 13 other brands at their facility. Wow. So it's not just, they're not just working one contract. They're working with a whole bunch of folks to be able to, to help bring their, their beer to fruition. Exactly. Um, and many contract brewers such as Evil Twin or Grimm or Stillwater have done a really good job branding themselves and kind of making themselves seem very independent to just honing in on the idea of their brand um, and kind of making the idea of contract brewing or gypsy brewing cool. Um, but then there are other breweries, uh, this article goes on to use uh, Braven Brewing as an example, that haven't handled it as well. They were claiming to bring brewing back to Bushwick, New York, 
Um, but in reality, their beer was being brewed in Ipswich, Massachusetts. They will now actually be opening a small brew pub in Bushwick, um, but obviously their beer hasn't actually been brewed there. According to the founder, tricking the public was never their intention. They'd always planned on opening a facility, but just didn't have the capital, Um, which makes sense. I mean, you have an idea for a brand and a beer, and you want to produce it and maybe use the funds from producing it and selling it to eventually get a space for it, because starting a brewery is not easy. That is a capital-intensive thing to do. As I think we've seen, the idea of like local pride and being super stoked with local beer, and by local, I mean literally local in your neighborhood, um, the popularity in that is on the rise and it's increased dramatically. So when you name a beer after a neighborhood, some people are going to get upset because you're appropriating their neighborhood. They're using the name sure, and you're not actually from there. So it's, it's that makes a lot of sense. The, I, I can understand the concern. The idea here is that as long as brewers are transparent um, and focus more on their brand and less on like their brand being about where they're from, then things seem to go over a little better. But the stigma is going to start going away uh, due to just the necessity of contract brewing. You've got all these small breweries popping up and just not having, again, the funding or the, the space to get things going. And as the article points out, at the end of the day, it's not really about where it's from so much as what's in your glass. The interesting part about Alpine, who I mentioned before, um, they make the contract brewing a part of their history. And they maybe at the time, I don't know if they were very forthwith with that information, but now it is visible on their website, on their about page. They make it a part of where they came from. They started at home brewing. They moved to Alesmith. Then they had a handshake agreement with Green Flash. It's a part of who they are and where they are today and helped get them to the distribution that they currently have. So I think it, it, you're right. Like it's going to end up, what matters is what you're drinking from them, it, what's in your glass, what's in the bottle, et cetera. But also not being deceptive but not in being, your branding. Right. I mean, if you think about it, Russian River had a deal with Firestone Walker to brew Pliny the Elder at their facility in Paso Robles. That's true, and 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 the folks waiting in line and expecting that they're going to get a Santa Clara Santa Clara Pliny, brewed yeah. beer, I can understand the confusion. Yeah, um, but then again, the majority I think the majority of people aren't going to be worried about it because they're just getting Pliny, and it's gonna, in all likelihood, taste exactly the same because the process is the same. There obviously there can be minute differences. Yeah, water whatever the location the temperature etc of the region but see that's the that's the kind of stuff that i appreciate too is um there was a an article uh about the dough being made in new york and in other places saying that they make quote-unquote new york pizza oh because they adjusted the water because they adjusted the water ph Mm. and and some of the uh the stuff that's in the water to be like new york tap water uh to more uh, accurately represent what New York pizza is. I, I, I can appreciate the lengths at which uh, other food-based places are going to to make sure that their food tastes authentic to the region that they say that it's from. Um, but it's all, I mean, you're, it, it's about what's in the glass. It's about what's on the plate. It's about expressing whatever the brewer or the chef wants to express. And I understand 
the idea of, you know, if you feel deceived, you're going to have a negative reaction to it. So I don't want to, I don't want to kind of under understate or downplay. Yeah. I don't want to downplay that because if you're told one thing and it's actually not, then you're all fine. You know, I would be frustrated too. And and I think that breweries are being more open with this process now and it's becoming more part of how a brewery grows and is becoming more transparent or, or in business terms, translucent, just being a hundred percent open with how they make their product, what money they're making, et cetera, et cetera. It just kind of adds to the additional information that you are given to make the decision on whether or not you want to become a patron of that place. All right. The next article we have comes from Austin 360.com says Austin brewery thirsty planet is releasing a record of beer sounds. So normally when breweries debut a beer, they might offer a free koozie or a pint glass. They'll do a tap takeover. They'll um, blast it on social media. But South Austin beer maker Thirsty Planet Brewing has something this live music capital of the world will love. It's first EP. It's first beer EP. They say the six track, six minute record, six minute record (laughs) (laughs) won't be your typical music album as it features recordings of the new year-round brew, the Pale Head Pale Ale, being produced at Thirsty Planet's enormous facility on South Congress Avenue. The brewery has dubbed the EP Sounds of the Brewery. So what, what, what would you expect this to sound like, first and foremost? Okay, all right. Gur- gur- gurgles. Oh, backing up. Okay, backing up the, the forklift. Just I don't have any bottles to clang together. <laughs> That was my next one. <laughs> okay, so 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 literal sounds of the brewery is what you're expecting. I, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I'll, I'll let you know here. It says, listeners will hear six tracks of audio from the bottling, cooling, and enjoying of a six-pack. <sighs> yeah, kind of. It's what we do here on the show a little <laughs> bit, right? Less less of the, the uh, like, crispy uh, mouth sounds, hopefully, and a lot more of the just... ASMR, but for beer, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of jingling a little bit. According to the article, Palehead has long been part of uh, Thirsty Planet's line of beers, albeit as one that is on draft only, usually. The release party for this EP later this month will celebrate the Pale Ale's first time in bottles. So that makes sense why they would want to kind of highlight some of the bottle sounds, the six packs, things like that. Plus it's a really intriguing way to... uh to just jump up some press there. Six minutes though. What are you gonna What are you gonna do with the rest of the? <laughs> you know what I'm. I don't know if I could take more than six minutes of factory of, sounds. Of beer ASMR. Yeah, I'm. I'm imagining. So if you if you ever as a kid saw those super super small records, mm-hmm. smaller than like a, a 33. Right? Okay. Or th- what's what's the smaller one? Small pla- seven like a smaller than a seven inch vinyl. Um, I'm thinking more like. It, like they print Sesame Street on these, right? They, <laughs> like like the kids' toy albums that you it put plays, in. Okay. It plays one sound of a yes. cow when you put it on yes. the on the 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 recording uh, or onto the the turntable. There, I mean, there have been albums of space sounds, um, mm-hmm. the radio frequencies coming back from distant planets, yep. Yep. Um, all kinds of interesting things put into actual albums. So, I mean, I guess this is just kind of par for the course on a slightly less 
uh, exciting scale. Yeah, you know what this sounds to me though with with the six minute record. It's kind of it's like a like a thrash band, like a, a grindcore album a little bit. <laughs> Just like six minutes straight of just sounds like an art, like artistically. Yeah, this is this is something. This that, is perfect for an Austin-based brewery. I yeah, love it. Absolutely. Next up, we have an article from NineNews.com. Books and beer collide. A library will reward you for visiting breweries this summer. So coming up is the 2018 Aurora Craft Brews Tour in Aurora, Colorado, and it features eight area breweries that will stamp a passport for you. Now, the passports they're giving out can be picked up at the Aurora Public Library locations. So the idea is that people go in to the library, pick up the passport, hopefully hang around and remember what a library actually is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they can go out and visit these eight different breweries and get stamps. Um, and after you do, you'll get rewarded with different prizes courtesy of the Aurora Public Library system. That seems pretty cool. I, I don't go to libraries nearly as often as I did when I was a kid, and I don't have a kid either, and so it's not like I'm, you know, taking them there to to enjoy, you know, uh, children's books or rent movies or... Um, I know that there are uh, public library locations that rent like video games. Oh, yeah. And in, in the world like In the world of on-demand and streaming and Amazon... Going anywhere for anything seems way too hard. But admittedly, when we do go up to the library near our house, um, they they actually have like little tablet stations with learning games on them. Yep, you can get movies, games, heard. all kinds of stuff. It's it's very cool and always impressive. It's kind of you know old world tech though, right? I mean, obviously we have an app <laughs> that is about checking in beer. It's all digital. It's all on your phone with you all the time. But this is a this is sort of a, a paper alternative to going to a place and getting a literal stamp. I know there is a something similar in Bend, Oregon. At least there was a few years back when I was there. There was a, an Ale Trail book that you could get and get stamped. And I've heard about this happening in a bunch of different places. Hmm. Um, also, think of um, Bottle Logic's Week of Logic. You got a stamp every time you went for the exactly. seven days that they were putting on activities. Yeah. So the idea of like a physical book and actually having a stamp, while digital is the way things are going, sometimes it's really nice to kind of go back to that like. And they always have a cool design, Mm -hmm. too. I mean, especially if you're trying to embody the idea of uh, a library card or going and bringing a book and having your book stamped. I would love... Actually, I'm going to have to do a little follow-up and figure out what it actually looks like because there's some fun theming you could do here. Um, Organizers say that during the first two summers, more than 1,200 people completed the tour. Um, The idea behind the tour is to support local breweries while reintroducing people to public libraries and their offerings in the digital age, which, like we just talked about, you know, even public libraries here in Los Angeles, um, you can go and you can get even pretty modern and new movies. Yeah, uh, basically the the blockbuster of of old, uh, but now for... Without having anything, to pay for it. yeah, without it, all community driven, which is cool. I think some of the one of the cool things about this, and even the uh, the week of logic, is that if you go through this between May first and October thirty first of this year, and you get four stamps, you'll get a glass, or eight stamps, you'll get a growler. So if you visit all eight of these places, you're getting something tangible, something out of this this whole experience. It's a it's a cool way to get. F- folks to go to uh, to local libraries. It looks like they've got a, a whole number of them, too. Uh, 
All right, now it's time to answer some of your questions about Untapped. If you've got any questions for us, be sure to send them over using the hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. This week's question comes to us from James on Twitter, and he asked, how many different styles are there in the Wheel of Styles badge? So that's a pretty straightforward answer. Every style in the Untapped database counts toward the Wheel of Styles badge. So how many styles are there? There are about 175 different styles in the Untapped database. Uh, if you do some math here, that's about five, you need five unique styles per badge. So you, the highest level you can actually earn on this badge is up to, I believe, about 35, level 36, somewhere in there. 175 or so in the system. That would be how many that you have to go through. Okay. Makes sense. It's pretty straightforward. Um, I took a look. Um, I myself am currently at level 18 of the Wheels of Styles badge. Okay. And you, Mr. Kyle, you are at level 26. <laughs> level 26. That's pretty, I mean, that's pretty high, right? That's, that's impressive. That's a lot of different styles. That's I mean, a, that is a let's lot see. Of Hold on, I got I to gotta crunch some numbers here. Okay. Really quick. Uh, Computer noise. Boop, 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 boop. Enhance. It looks like you've had about 130 different styles. All this tells me is that I need to start having more styles. And I feel like I've tried so many. Yeah. Like I, I think about it, I'm like, I feel like I've had just so many things. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna guess that it's a lot of the obscure ones because I know our style database differs a little bit from say like the official guidelines. We have a few little variants here and there. Have you turned on retroactive batches? I have not. Okay, and so I have. That so that might explain that part of it. That would definitely explain that because we didn't introduce Wheel of Style from the beginning. No. So it's only taking, for you currently, it's only taking into consideration when we introduce the badge moving forward. I have turned on retroactive badges. So it's taking into consideration everything from 2012 to present. So that's, oh, why, I've, that's why I've leveled up I, so high. And I don't plan on turning that on. So I'm just going to have to deal with it and catch up. All right. See, now now we can't, we can't uh, uh, compare badges anymore. That's true. I'm retro, you're not. <laughs> For those of you listening, what level of the Wheel of Styles badge are you at? You should let us know on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Again, we are at Untapped, And of course, like we said in the beginning of this segment, if you have any questions, uh, send it over to us using the hashtag AskUntapped. All right, show notes are available at podcast.untapped.com. And if you, of course, have any feedback for us, we would love to hear it. You can connect with us or follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's at Untapped everywhere. And if you have a second, head over to Apple Podcasts and rate our show. If you have an extra moment, feel free to write a review. We would love to hear what you think, positive, negative, uh, constructive, not. Just let us know. We're always looking, trying to figure out how we can continue to improve the show for everyone out there. Until next week. Cheers. Cheers.